What is up, good movie buddies? Little pre-episode disclaimer on this one. David is on the road for our big boy job and had to record his side of the episode from a, a hallway in a Las Vegas casino. So you might hear a little bit of music in the background. You might hear some shenanigans in the background. We tried to clean up the audio as much as possible for you. Either way, we have a great conversation coming up. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we are celebrating Daniel Craig's run as James Bond and taking a look at the latest and Craig's last film in the series. That's right. We saw No Time to Die. Get your popcorn ready. James Bond, license to kill. History of violence. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Oh, my God. He's going to kill millions. You don't know what this is? I have to finish this. all you good movie buddies to the popcorn diet a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other delicious movie snacks as always my name is rick williams and your very best good movie buddy and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy the canadian machine mr david melhorn david you're coming to us from a, a, a unique location how are you doing today you know i'm live from las vegas here so if my sound is slightly different than normal, that's because I'm doing it from a random hallway in the convention area of, of Las Vegas, Nevada. So, um, you know, but it's the podcast and, and we had James Bond to talk about, so I wasn't going to miss it. It's true. Much like diamonds are forever. You are, you are in Las Vegas, much like James Bond was traipsing around Las Vegas here. Now, obviously, this is the the this is the well publicized end of Daniel Craig's run. This is the last film in his series. This is the fifth film in his series. But rather than lead with that, I wanted to lead with just straight into non spoiler thoughts on No Time to Die. Obviously, this is the the last of the series. It is directed by the first American director of a James Bond movie, Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Fukunaga. I know I'm going to screw that up once. And it's two hours and like 40 minutes long. And <laughs> it has been delayed numerous times. It was going to be November and then it was going to be December and then it was going to be April and then it was October again. And now it's finally here, David. And so above all else, how did you like No Time to Die without any spoilers? Loved it. I mean, I've been a fan of of Bond in general as long as I've been alive, as long as I've been watching movies. So I I, I enjoyed the Pierce ones. I enjoyed going back and watching, you know, Roger Moore and Connery and all the other ones. But, yeah. um, you know, from the beginning with the Daniel Craig series, um, I've been I feel like my fanhood of it has gone up a level. So um, this to me was a a great end to this this chapter of Bond. I think, 
you know, it was one of those things where it's always hard when you know this is the last movie for a character or for a for an actor in a franchise like this. Like sure. when we knew it was the last Christian Bale Batman movie, you know, even with previous Bonds, when we knew it was the last Pierce one, you know, there's always difficulty in how do you end it? Do you end it like this is the end of the story? Uh and kind of end that characters, whether it's their life or they ride off into the sunset or whatever right. the case may be. Do you choose to do that or do you choose to just do another story like you've been telling? And, you know, obviously we'll get into what happened in this one, but I felt like for everything and all the time that we've committed to, you know, this, this history with Daniel Craig as Bond, I feel like it was a, a great ending to a different take on the bond series you know we've we had gotten so accustomed to what bond was you know both the ridiculousness as well as the you know the fun that we had and and all the things that went with bond um and i feel like the craig series subverted those expectations a little bit with while staying true to you know what a lot of people enjoyed about bond and so i think this movie in the same way doesn't necessarily play to any of the traditional like endings for a bond character for a sure. person playing bond but at the same time like none of the daniel craig franchise was necessarily completely traditional in how it went about telling its story which i appreciated well and frankly like if you look at the history of bonds like it's not exactly like it's always been some type of clean passing of the torch either, you know? No. Sean Connery famously came back after George Lazenby's one and done. You know, Roger Moore grew into the, was way too old for the role back when, I, I don't remember how old he was in A View to a Kill, but suffice it to say he looked old. Um, obviously people age a lot better now. So even though Craig's been doing this for as long as he has been, still looks great. You know, Brosnan, Dalton only got two and, and he didn't get any type of emotional send off. Brosnan, I think, was only the only one and maybe more as well. But Brosnan was the only one where it was like, this is, you know, the last bond in Brosnan's tenure. And they were like, we're going to celebrate everything that is bond. So they shoved it with Easter eggs and they made it as ridiculous like they made it as ridiculous as possible and people were like this is like maybe the worst of his entire series and and you know not to get too much into the craig you know era because we'll talk about that after we talk about no tide no time to die the movie itself but what i loved about this era is that this is not just a, the continuing adventures of james bond there is a story told from Casino Royale all the way to this. And the way that this bond differs in the end of others is that there are plot lines that are wrapped up. There are threads that are wrapped up. There are character arcs and motivations and growth that reach their, their natural conclusions. And that's never been done in a James Bond movie before. And that is both not only like very interesting and what I found to be very satisfying, but it also leaves us in a place that maybe we've never been at in the what 60 some odd years that James Bond has been on film. And that is having no idea what comes next, which is really, really cool. But 
I think you were right. I think one of the things that No Time to Die really hammers home is that the Daniel Craig saga really elevated James Bond to almost like prestige franchise. You know, like when you think Absolutely. back, when you think back on the Brosnan movies, as great as GoldenEye was and as as great as the, the tie in video game was to grabbing our entire generation and latching them onto James Bond, a lot of those movies are crappy 90s action movies. You know, The World is Not Enough is a crappy 90s action movie. Die Another Day is a crappy 90s action movie. Tomorrow Never Dies, I think a little underrated in my opinion. I think that might be actually one of the best pure James Bond movies, um, certainly Brosnan's run. But like these movies, when, when Casino Royale came out, I just watched Casino Royale again couple nights ago casino royale is phenomenal it is incredible aside from the poker the poker has not aged well and mathis like being a little commentator and being like that's his tell a little too obvious a little too out there for me but like you get a legitimate director in carrie joji fukunaga you get legitimate award-winning prestige actors and people like Ray Fiennes and Leah Sado, your Academy Award winner, Rami Malek, obviously you got Academy Award winner, Christoph Waltz. I, I was a big, big fan of it. I was a big fan of everything that happened here. I thought that, um, you know, one of the more difficult things, and, and I'll ask you about this is without getting into the specifics of what maybe your favorite action scenes were, or your favorite set pieces were, I'm not going to go so far as to say like the action in this movie is the best of the series simply because this move, this series Craig's series is full of amazing, amazing action sequences. But in all of the adventures that we get throughout this movie, I mean, we hit up Italy, we hit up Jamaica, we hit up Cuba, we hit up Norway, we hit up some vague Island between Japan and Russia and every single action sequence hits it's they are well constructed they are well directed i love that kind of stuff what would you say was your favorite part of the movie because there's a lot to like about these movies but like would you would you say that this movie's strengths are its action would you say it's the performances would you say it's the balance of the two um i think i think this one i lean man it's tough because i really enjoyed the performance in this but i do think i lean a little bit more to the action um as being the more memorable part um that being said i uh, i would kind of put in a tie with that i really um i enjoyed the plot from the standpoint of um like i like i was kind of referencing earlier it doesn't take you down a traditional path uh we do some things that we've never done with bond before um from that standpoint and uh yeah i think like I said, I think we started out with Casino Royale and it telling a very showing Bond in a very different way. One, we had never seen him become 007 before. Like right. he's always just been 007. And so right. um, I think to see that was something new. You know, I don't want to throw out origin story too, too much um, because you know, we get a lot of origin stories these days with superheroes and that kind of stuff, but it's the closest thing we've ever gotten to that for Bond. And so I thought that was unique. And I thought, you know, obviously the physicality of uh, 
Daniel Craig's Bond and, and the way that it was represented on screen and the way that they treated him, you know, rarely had we seen him get just the crap beat out of him like we did in as Casino Royale. Does, yeah, in everything, and, he gets the crap beat out of he, it, it, you know, Craig, not to interrupt your thought, I apologize there, uh, but like, that's what I found so fun about this movie is that the toll of being a blunt instrument is there, you know, the, the toll and whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be psychological, you know, the, the James Bond movie was always like, Oh, this is James Bond. And Oh, he's dealing with another bad guy, but he never had, uh, you know, he never had, battle wounds a guy like this would have those battle wounds he would have those scars and i like that you see particularly the this movie is the culmination of all those scars and all of those wounds they are there and i think you know i've heard people talk about how like they don't there are some people who don't like the marvelification the continuing story that james bond has taken because they liked that it was just, okay, here's another sequel. Here's another adventure. You don't have to know your homework, right? I disagree. I think that you are more emotionally invested with a character that you see go through the ringer like this. What do you think? Yeah, I think that was the, the great part of this series is there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I think there's you know, such a big concept, you know, Bond has always used the entire world, right? Like we've, we've always explored and adventured like the entire globe from that standpoint. And you get these big stories and these big villains and to tell all of that in a single movie led to some of the like disbelief, some of the unrealistic aspects that some people found too much, you know, like when you get into some of the the movies and some others found is just like that's bond you know and that was kind of what was explained for it but i think the great part about this franchise is we got to kind of dig deeper like you know we had specter that was a part of this story kind of throughout the whole thing and we kind of we got crumbs that built us up and then we finally got to seeing what it was right and then like we've been kind of coming down off of that and unraveling it you know and so like it really like the movies all together kind of to me have their own arc that plays well together with each movie having its own arc within itself if that makes sense and so yeah. I think I think people talk about like you know, Marvel movies and, and the long form storytelling and, and the need for that. But I think the cool thing about this is like, you could technically jump into any of these movies without watching the other ones. And I think you would still enjoy it. Would you enjoy it as much as someone who has seen all of them? Probably not. Yeah. But all the movies are great movies standalone without yeah. having the prior knowledge of the other movies. This one has this one. I mean, yes and no. Like this movie starts pretty much directly after Spectre ends. And sure. so like sometimes you don't need more than that. Sometimes all you need to know is this is James Bond. This is his lady. Here's the problem. Let's go. Right. It, it, it sometimes can feel that as somebody who has watched all of the movies, somebody who hasn't comes in, I, I, I agree with you in that they, I believe, could have a perfectly reasonable time. 
but there will also be like that explanation of like here's what everything he went through with Madeline, uh, uh, Madeline Swan in the last movie and things like that. So it, there is a trade off, and there is like it's it's almost like being cursed with knowledge, you know, as somebody who uh, has you know been there for the entire saga, who knows the history. Like yes, somebody could jump in at any time and have a satisfying conclusion to a movie and all that kind of stuff. But there is just so much more. There's sure. so much more value and there's so much more emotional depth when you are able to watch the entire thing. And I and I do like that, you know, a, a lot of people when they do rewatch Bond, you know, I like that people will be able to go back and look at this and, and say like, okay, this is the group. This is the story. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but like, so as far as, Let's talk about performances real quick because we talked about Daniel Craig and we talked about how he's a legitimate actor. We'll talk more about him as we, we, we get more into the Craig era. Daniel Craig, obviously very good. How did you feel about Rami Malek playing a character that is basically named Lucifer Satan, which is not subtle at all? Uh, that's that's a that's a age old uh, Bond tradition, right? Sure. Having these having these names that are like just funny <laughs> it's like just nonsense name like not nonsense names for satan like it's not his real name his name in the movie if you haven't seen it already it is Lucifer Safin yeah but like let's come on <laughs> let's be honest here but how did you like him as like the villain you know I'm, I'm trying to think of like the other end villains that that other bonds have had. And, and sure, you, know, you want to do I, right. You know, you want to give him his most formidable adversary. Right. But he went up against Blofeld Inspector. So what more yeah. is there to do? Right. Well, I think I think this movie does scream to some degree. An addition, a, a decision to potentially expand this French, the Craig series one more. Because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you know the ins and outs of, like, studios and plans better than I do. But if I remember right, there was never a plan necessarily to have, say, you know, five Daniel Craig movies. It was, we weren't necessarily certain we were even going to get this film. And I think, to a large degree, that's reflected in this movie to some degree. So, like, getting back to the whole concept of, what I think of Rami Malek, I think would it have been, would he have been my choice for the final villain that, uh, that Daniel Craig and like the performance and who he is and the character in this film, maybe not, but if we're like narrowing into Rami and the job that he did, like right. I had, I, I liked Rami. Um, you know, he's to me, he's just Rami. Like he, <laughs> he just has this aspect and we talked about this, previously in uh the little that things, movie the little, the little things, things episode we talked in the little things about like what our view on rami is about how he just has this kind of he's got a good serial killer look to him sure. um he and does. so obviously he fit in really well as the bad guy in this film so i think he was good i think his character being the last one daniel craig faces I have some nitpicks on it, but when sure. we get into spoilers, I'll, I'll tell you why I liked it. Yeah. But if I just isolate him as just the villain itself, you know, I would have loved to have seen like Javier Bardem's or, 
or Christoph Waltz's character be the last one that he faced. But yeah, for the whole arc of the story, I think it works. And in the context of of who Rami's character is in the story, I think it works for me. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of where so, I was. So, so to to your comment on if this like we weren't sure if we were going to get the last Bond movie. If you look at Daniel Craig's series, like. You're, we weren't sure when Spectre ended. Daniel Craig was literally like, I'd rather slip my wrist than do another James Bond movie. I think it was less about him wanting to get out and more about how taxing these movies are. These movies are, are, are a 16 month, 18 month, two year commitment from, you know, training to shooting to post-production to marketing to the actual release of the film. Like those are huge chunks off of his life and, and just getting off of. Spectre was was exhausting for him. But if you look at the end of each one, with, with the exception of Casino Royale, obviously that movie ends with like, all right, let's go. But Quantum of Solace is a direct sequel to Casino Royale, and it ends, you know, pretty satisfactory. So, like, you could have ended it there. Skyfall, many feel that Skyfall should have just been the last Daniel Craig movie, and it would have worked. Spectre, same thing. You know, Spectre was was considered a down point after Skyfall. I didn't hate Spectre nearly as much as some other people do, but I can see their issues with it. But the way that movie ended absolutely could have been the last one. And the way this movie ends, like, can absolutely be the last one. So in that in that regard, like, I do have a little bit more respect for the series in general. I agree with you that. Like, Rami Malek's last two roles were Freddie Mercury and the, like, supposedly golden boy cop in The Little Things. And I'm sorry, like, Rami, you're not made for those roles. You are made to be a Bond villain. I love, like, I mean, no disrespect. I don't think you should have won the Oscar, Rami. I'm going to just talk to you directly for a second. I think you're an excellent actor. I think you're an incredible actor. Mr. Robot, all that kind of stuff, fantastic. I thought you were... Not great as Freddie Mercury. I still can't believe we didn't give the Oscar to Christian Bale as Dick Cheney or even, you know, Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, which is like a truly transformative performance, but whatever. And listen, you just don't have the face to be the good guy. I'm sorry that you have these beady bug eyes and you have this very tiny mouth and this these sharp features. You are made to play a Bond villain. And so in that respect, mission accomplished. Like... You are a creepy Bond, Bond villain with a weird facial, uh, you know, skin condition that makes you look weird. And like, those are some of my favorite parts about Bond movies. But I agree with you is I have some several nitpicks about his villain and his characterization in general. I just got to give a shout out before we talk a little bit more about the Craig era. I think one of the movie's strengths is the characters from top to bottom are really interesting. So Lashana Lynch playing Bond's new counterpart in MI6. Phenomenal. Like goes toe to toe with him, is just as scrappy, is just as smart assy as he is. The entire MI6 crew, you know, they're not given a ton to do, but like Ben Wishaw's Q, great. Ray Fiennes, great. Naomi Harris, Moneypenny, great. Blofeld, great. Like, that's, I think, my biggest problem with Rami Malek is he's upstaged by almost every other villain in some way, shape, or form. That goes all yeah. the way down. That goes all the way down to his henchman with the robot eye, which I loved. It goes to the really goofy, like, scientist who is, yeah. like, a monster. Like, he's a terrible person. 
but is also like really funny. And then Billy Magnuson shows up as a, 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 a slimy CIA guy and he's got a weird tick, but like everybody from top to bottom, I found interesting in this movie. Uh, and that's one of the things I really liked as well. Let's talk, David, just about the Craig era in general. You know, we talked about how he started as a blunt object and we talked about how I think the, the way that he built this arc makes him the most emotionally resonant Bond ever. Like it literally is a five film franchise with character arcs with resolved storylines. You and I were talking. What are your thoughts on Daniel Craig? We, we, we kind of said like Daniel Craig has made the list of, of maybe, maybe it's mostly just been bond. Maybe it's bond in conjunction with some of his other work. You mentioned Logan lucky. We talked about knives out. He is becoming a guy who much like some of the other big actors in our, you know, in our time, the Christian Bales or even the Leo DiCaprio's when Daniel Craig is attached to something, I'm interested in it. And I think that makes him maybe one of the best bonds in terms of being an actor and actually acting as James Bond. What do you think? Like, let's celebrate Daniel Craig, because I know you're on the same level as this, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and I told you when we talked after seeing the film, and uh, I think one of the things that I walked away from it really thinking about as I kind of reflected on the air is, I think he might be the best Bond ever. I think and, he might be too. And obviously that's 1000% subjective and it depends what you're looking for in James Bond. I think if you're asking me who looked the most like Bond, it's still Pierce, like of what I think of when I think of James Bond, like sure. Pierce was the, the person who like, I feel like was born to play James Bond just right. because of the look that he but, had. But he never had the heft, like Daniel Craig feels like an A-lister. I don't know that outside of Bond, Pierce Brosnan ever felt like an A-lister. Sure. Well, I think it to some degree has to do with like the presence that he has. Like I think of Pierce, like, I don't know what you think of when you think of Pierce outside of the Bond, but for me, the first role that I think of when I don't think of Bond is Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I think... I mean, I think of Thomas Crown Affair. Sure. But like, that's honestly, gun to my head, you tell me what Pierce Brosnan's other, you know, filmography is during his time as Bond. I mean, Dante's Peak? Yeah. Love me, love me some volcano action, but Dante's Peak is not a good movie. <laughs> no, no, no. So, um, so yeah, so I think you you look at it that way. And I think the other thing is, is, and again, this is somewhat maybe credited to the writing and the decisions the studio and, and the creatives behind the film made that he was set up to be given the opportunity. But like, I don't think it's going out on a limb at all to say like, this is the most like emotionally invested James Bond has ever been. Like, sure as far as like caring about other characters about, you know, like we had this trope and obviously, you know, one of the whole reasons we got Austin Powers movies was because it basically, you know, made fun of kind of the tropes of James Bond from that standpoint. But like every time we felt like there was a character that James Bond cared about, they pretty much killed them (laughs) in the next film. Yeah. And um, not that we haven't dealt with losses 
in the Daniel Craig and they kind of did that in Casino Royale to some degree. But at the same time, uh, I think this is the most that we've seen him be kind of human and not just like this button up, you know, like cool, suave character. Like as much as Daniel Craig like oozes cool in these movies, like he also seems like the type of guy that you'd probably want to like go to the bar and have a drink with, you right. know, from that standpoint. Whereas like, I don't know if that's always the case with, uh, with Bond characters as far as feeling relatable. So I think, yeah. uh, I think there's an aspect of him there too, that he brought um, that's made this, this series of Bond movies, just a lot of fun. And he's grown into it. It sounds like it's funny. There's been a couple of times where it sounds like Adele's singing behind you because you have that hotel I, I was wondering if that was literally a Bond song behind you. Um, <laughs> but like, but like you said, like they let him grow into it as well. You know, he gets, as, as he goes on, he get, like, he's funny in this movie. You know, he's got, he's got some really good one-liners and stuff as well. But I, I mean, Connery is very good. Connery is probably, I mean, I think it's Connery and Craig one, a one B right now. Um, I just don't think it's I just think that's the conversation. Number one. Number two, I do think like this is the best felt five film series. Like I'm, I've been looking at rankings and stuff like that. And I have no idea what people are talking about when they're putting like Quantum of Solace as the third worst James Bond movie. I I, I remember some of the action being not great um, and trying to do too much. Uh, J- uh, uh, Jason Bourne kind of stuff, you know? Um, but at the same time, I just think the quality of these films overall is very well. I think this is probably the best overall in terms of the movies. I think it's indisputable in terms of their craft, right? It's, it's indisputable that they have brought, managed to bring in top level talent like award-winning talent to want to make these movies the best action sequences the budgets are higher they're not as dumb (laughs) for some reason and uh i think it just shows i think it just shows like i just think this is a high quality film franchise from start to finish now david before we before we get into spoilers i do want to ask your ranking of craig's Bond films. I think it's probably a pretty easy ranking, but I'd be curious as to what yours are. So his films in order of release were Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die. What order would you put those in? Five to one. I think first five to one. So least favorite to favorite. Yeah, at least let's build up to it. Okay, so Quantum of Solace would be my bottom. I think you know, we were talking about this in the in the last uh, podcast with this with Venom too, or Venom. Let there be <laughs> carnage. But I just feel like second movies just it's rare that they deliver completely on expectations. You know, especially when you have a franchise that comes out so good like this, it's just really hard to to deliver on that. And so I think you know probably the story was the weakest. Um, and it just kind of felt like, uh, you know, especially as I go back and watch it, it, it feels kind of like a filler to some degree, mm-hmm. um, that it's kind of like bridges the gap. It kind of ends 
you think maybe ends one storyline and kind of bridges to like kind of the next thing. But um, Quantum of Solace would be my fifth. This one's tough. I think I, the hard part is I like all these movies a lot. So yes. like this isn't a knock on any of them. So I think No Time to Die might be my fourth favorite. Um, it's between it and Spectre. Uh, okay. Spectre, Spectre may get the edge is because of uh, Christoph. Um, Christoph's I love great. Some Christoph. Batista's great. Yep. So I think it may get a slight edge there, but I don't know. Those are kind of tied for me. I, I, go, I keep going back and forth between those two. Uh, second for me is, is Casino Royale. Yep. And, and my favorite is Skyfall. Yep. So I'm very similar as well. Quantum is obviously the fifth one. Uh, I put Spectre at number four. Um, I honestly don't remember a ton about that movie. Like, I don't remember the plan. I don't remember the, the <laughs> plot or anything from it. Although I am going to be revisiting the Daniel Craig movies. Like, those are next on my on my list. Um, but I'm going to put Spectre on there at four. I put No Time to Die right in the middle at number three. And then I, th- I thought about getting cute. I thought about getting cute because Casino Royale is a banger. Like it mm-hmm. is, it is a banger and it is, it's, it's legit. Like it opens with the black and white. It opens with that whole double kill sequence. Like it is here to say like, this is a legitimate movie. We are doing things different. The entire chase in Madagascar is one of the best action sequences maybe ever. Um, the car stunt, the, the, it's got everything, you know, the poker is really the one thing. And Mathis being this like lowest common denominator commentator on poker is the one thing that that made me say, no, you can't get that cute on it. So I put Casino Royale at number two. And frankly, I'm, again, I'm reading I, I was looking over Vulture's list. Vulture put Skyfall at number seven. Personally, think that's insane. I think Skyfall might be the best James Bond film. Like, I think it's it is up there yeah they put they put casino royale at number one they got cute uh but skyfall is just everything it is incredible from start to finish it looks incredible it sounds incredible javier bardem is is an all-timer bond villain like i cannot wait to watch skyfall again i i think uh like the easiest way that i can do like casino royale like set the tone and like had that kind of like shock factor to it. And I don't want to say shock because it's not like anything that happened and it was too shocking, but it like, it was such a change, such a shift from what we've come accustomed to for decades of James Bond. And so I think that's why it's so memorable. Like I can, I can still remember more from Casino Royale than any other of the Bond movies. And so I think for a lot of people, that's why like you kind of drift to that. Cause I even, you know, like you said, like I considered it as my number one, but I feel like Skyfall was like when they perfected it, you know, like if you come out with a great new product, like a lot of people are going to love it, but then there's a point where you perfect it, right? Like where yeah. it's like perfect, all the flaws, all the kinks have been worked out and you figure out how to execute it just perfectly. And I feel like that's what Skyfall was. And 
you know, Casino Royale had some little things here or there. It was, you know, a smaller movie from those standpoints. Um, as much as I love our, our, our guy Mads. Uh, love Mads Mikkelsen. Fantastic in that movie. He's, he's, he's not Javier, Javier. So even, even from that standpoint, like there's a, there's a level a leveling up in Skyfall that we got. And so um, for me, that's why I ended up giving it the edge over it. But like, I think that would probably be my, what I would say is undisputably the best Bond movie. Yeah. Now, if you're asking me to say which one's my favorite, it could end up, you know, Casino Royale might be in that conversation to go over it, but I don't think I can call it better than Skyfall, if that makes sense. It's definitely a more like, like Skyfall is heavy. Skyfall gets heavy. You know, it, it doesn't exactly end on the, the, the happiest of notes. That's the other thing, dude. These Daniel Craig movies, almost none of them, like they all, I, I don't want to say almost none of them end on like real winning notes. Cause that's not true. Cause he wins in all of them, you know? But there, there's almost always something that is lost, right? There's an emotional toll that is taken, whether it be obviously Vesper Lynn's betrayal and death in, in um, Casino Royale or the, the kind of the vengeance of that in Quantum of Solace, whether it be M's demise and the changing of the guard in Skyfall, the fact that Javier Bardem's character actually like technically wins uh, very interesting, you know. I guess uh, Spectre actually has the happiest ending of them all, you know, yeah. where they where they drive off, and then the end of this is is super interesting, and that's again just an interesting testament to the way that James Bond has evolved over the Craig years, and I cannot wait to see what's next. But we're, and we got to talk about that, but we got to do two things before we do. The first is we need to give our popcorn ratings. For no time to die. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, if you've never listened to an episode of the podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of stars or thumbs up, we give a popcorn rating. Burnt popcorn means a movie is a waste of time. No matter what, do not watch it. Stale popcorn means it's not great. If you have to watch something in a pinch... You could do worse, but don't pay any money for it. Microwave popcorn is right there in the middle. It's fine. Your mileage may vary. Some people may really enjoy microwave popcorn. Others, not so much. Movie theater popcorn means you should go see this in a movie. You should go see this on a big screen at some point in time, but you don't necessarily have to rush. And then perfect popcorn means go out and see this on the biggest screen possible whenever you can. And if we ever find ourselves in the middle of it, we throw a soda in the middle just to differentiate. David, what is your popcorn rating for No Time to Die? This one was tough for me because it's not perfect. It's not perfect. As a movie, it's not perfect. And so that made me want to lean towards movie theater popcorn. But I'm going to give it perfect popcorn. And here's why. <laughs> I'm going to give it perfect popcorn as a as an ode as a tribute to the Daniel Craig franchise and I feel like I really enjoyed the decisions they made and how to to end this and how it stayed in line with everything that they had done throughout this series so perfect for me. 
Yeah, man, I definitely have nitpicks about this movie that we will get into. I just was I I I'm the same perfect popcorn. I mean, I don't know if that I don't know if I'm a sucker for it. I don't know if that I mean, this is just a podcast. We're not journalists. We have no journalistic integrity. We didn't go to film school. We didn't go to criticism school. We're not critics. We're not media. We are movie fans. And sometimes that means recognizing a great achievement, recognizing a, an end to something historical and giving it a little bit of leeway and saying that this is something that you absolutely should dedicate the time to go seeing on a movie screen as soon as possible, as safely as possible. But I'm going to give it perfect popcorn as well. I just think uh, as an overall salute to the Craig era, it's kind of like giving Return of the King all the Oscars they did. You know, Return of the King, maybe not even the best of the trilogy, but they celebrated the entire series by giving it all those Oscars. This is kind of similar where No Time to Die, clearly not the best film in the series, but it's the only film we've gotten to review on, on this and, and, and talk about on this podcast. So I'm giving it perfect popcorn. Now, we got to talk about nitpicks, but that requires us to talk about spoilers. Before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, we're back. We're with spoilers. Let's just lead off. I don't even know if I want to lead off because I don't necessarily want this to dominate the conversation because I really want to talk about how much like the villain's plot did not make sense. But we got, I mean, we got to lead off with the, with the big thing. And that is that James Bond dies in this movie. He is blown to smithereens and he is not like, there is no ambiguity. There is no like, Oh, maybe he got, you know, blown away by the blast. Maybe he's floating in the ocean, Jason Bourne style or whatever. No, he is engulfed by a fireball that, that they just carpet bomb the entire island that he is standing on. And boy, does that lead us to some uncharted territory? How did you feel about that decision at the end? I think it was Daniel Craig's decision. (laughs) I think he said, I think he said, I'm not coming back. I'm not doing another single bond. (laughs) I'm too old for this. Yep. (laughs) I want you to remove all doubt (laughs) of whether or not this is going to be happening. I don't want you. (laughs) Do you think he also said like, this will cement my legacy. Like I will be now, now and forever, the James Bond who died. Potentially, but I think it also goes in, like we've been talking about all podcasts. Like it goes into 
you know, decisions they've made all along. Like they've killed characters that I don't know that have ever been killed. They, um, they treated bond in a way, you know, a lot of times like crappy things happened to him and he was perfectly fine. Like 15 minutes later type of thing. Like they had him carry the weight that they had, you know, in my opinion, they made the job of being 007 and being James Bond not <laughs> that attractive of a job in a lot of ways. Like, you know, it's and I know there's commitment. Even, I know there's even the part where uh, what's his name? What's uh our boy Jeffrey Wright's character's name again? Oh, uh our guy Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter. So uh, even when he's he's dying he says you know it's a good life type of thing right and i found myself saying like is it like <laughs> is this i mean i know you get to drive some sweet cars i mean i know you get to go all over the world you get to you know play detective in a lot of ways but like there's been some pretty miserable things and you know i i go back to the casino royale scene where he's getting tortured on that boat or whatever right like is that worth it like is that a good life so yeah. Um, I think, you know, the way that they've chosen to show him as utterly human and, and not invincible, it only makes sense that it would end with him dying and the ultimate uh, sacrifice for queen and country. And I think, I think it also has been leading, not that like Daniel Craig's James Bond has been particularly selfish. Like he hasn't been. Like we've seen bonds in the past be perfectly fine, like using people um, yeah. to he their has, advantage. He has, and, I feel, gone rogue more than most bonds. <laughs> yes, he definitely has. But I think you also saw like he dealt with like the consequences of like bringing people involved. Like, you know, obviously, particularly always a theme of bond movies, but like the women he's been right. involved with, like what's happened to them and like he's dealt with that and we've seen him deal with that and so i think for usually in these movies it's the women you know his significant others the the females in his life that end up making the not ultimate sacrifice but being the ones that are the ones that die in these sure. films and so well and to, especially and, carrying vesper's death with him through the entire franchise for through the entire series yeah. and so to invert that so instead of Madeline dying, having James James be the one that dies at the end of this movie, like is just true to everything that we've seen from this franchise, and I think it was just an appropriate way to way to end it. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I mean more than I you know it's tough because like in, in I will this will be a good lead in for me to talk about Rami for a little bit here, but I I did like that he wasn't just killed, right? His death was in sacrifice and servitude to stop something, right? It's not that, like, he took a bullet or a villain necessarily got the better of him or whatever. So I did like that. I did like that it was essentially a noble sacrifice to see the mission to its end and whatever. He does, however, take, like, I don't know, like four or five shots from Rami Malek's care, uh, from Safin, uh, shooting him that like, he's probably not going to make it. Like he's probably bleeding out and whatever. And he's, he's doing what he can, but he's shot several times. And 
I was okay with them killing him. I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do next. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, I really just have to, I, I just have to say that as good as Rami was as a villain, like, like being a weird creep and whatever, it kind of, it kind of bugs me that this is the villain that quote unquote takes James Bond down. I didn't like the way that he just like sucker punched Bond with like cheap shots. Like Bond's running to try and get this thing done, and Rami just like manages to intercept him and pop off a couple of shots. I didn't like that. And frankly, I felt that Rami was way more involved with Madeline Swan's character, obviously, the, the whole opening sequence, which is really cool when he's acting like a slasher, like he's wearing the cool mask and everything. But I just I didn't feel like there was a meaningful connection between this particular villain that made him this is the most terrifying adversary that James Bond has ever faced. Like his whole deal just bugged me. And and you did a decent job of of laying it out when we were originally talking about it. But like the whole thing is that his parents worked for Spectre. And Blofeld had them poisoned and killed as punishment or to make them a make them an example or whatever. And that is what gave him his creepy looking skin condition, which I wish would have been creepier like it was at the beginning of the film when you see him with his cracked mask and his face has all these lines. He looks like a like a true like I don't know, like a like a true terrifying looking person. And then really he just kind of has this weird skin for the rest of the movie as, as he's, you know, grown past that. So like his whole plot is I am going to help steal these. uh, There's nanobots. There's this nanobot disease that is basically a, a controllable disease, which I thought was really interesting in the days of a pandemic that this disease could be basically programmed to attack certain um, DNA traits, you know, whether it be race, whether it be, you know, actual familiar, you know, familial DNA or what have you. But they steal this nanobot, which was being developed by MI6, and they think it's being stolen for Spectre. But in reality, Safin is kind of working with the doctor to actually eradicate Spectre, which works in Cuba with the amazing Anna de Armas, who is only in the movie for a little bit, but is literally like the best, like maybe the best part of the whole movie. I I won't get too sidetracked with that. And then he kills Blofeld. Like he, that should be, like he is on a mission of revenge. And so I find that really interesting that he is this man bent on revenge. And that is what makes him so dangerous is that anybody who gets in his way uh, is going to get stopped. And the fact that he's bent on revenge towards Spectre towards another enemy organization I thought was really interesting. Unfortunately, once he quote unquote wins, then suddenly he shifts to like this whole, I am now going to kidnap Madeline Swan and her daughter. Oh, by the way, James Bond's a dad. We forgot to mention that. And because I saved her life instead of killing her. And so her life belongs to me, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to just sell all of this to the highest bidder. And while that all makes sense and tracks, I just feel like it doesn't it, la- it, it it the emotionality of his involvement ends when he kills Blofeld. And when the emotionality of his involvement ends, to me he becomes less scary. 
or less threatening. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that was one of my biggest issues was that I just didn't feel beyond like this guy's dangerous. We can't let this this nanobot, you know, Project Heracles, we can't let it get out and be sold to the highest bidder. I get that. It all makes sense. But emotionally, just didn't connect for me. All right. Well, let me let me uh, let me let me speak in defense. You can of, you can re, you can rebuttal even if you agree with me, and you don't have of, to say you agree with me. Of of Lucifer, Satan here. Lucifer. <laughs> Hold on, I want to get that sound clip real quick so we can I can blackmail you with that anytime I want. <laughs> all right, so here here's here's how I tracked with it, and here's why it all worked for me, and why I didn't share necessarily the same feelings with you. So. Okay. So first off, you're right. Like this for Rami's character, we're led to believe this is not about, I think one of the things that makes this movie different is this is not the main villain in this movie is not trying to kill James Bond. That is not his, his goal. Right. And, but I mean, that's not always people's goals. Like some people just well, want to take over the world well, and James Bond. Let me, let to me, stop. let me switch that. He's not, they're not trying to kill James Bond and they're also not trying to just destroy the world. Like they have a very specific target that they're going after. That's not necessarily someone that like James Bond would be like running to defend from that standpoint. Like if he knew that Rami Malek's character was just trying to kill Spectre, he might've just stood back and been like, okay, (laughs) like go for it. Like I have no problem with the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Exactly. And I think that's even a line in there from that stand. Um, But I think, okay. So you start out with that. Like, obviously it starts out with the, the scene where he comes to kill her father because his, her father created the, um, uh, you the know, virus. the vi- the poison that killed his family um, at some specter dinner party. I think we are led to believe he comes there, kills the mom, goes after the girl or goes after Madeline, who pops him with like, I feel like almost a clip and he falls out a window and somehow he gets up. But, you know, whatever. I, I would have liked to have seen like a pulling open of the jacket to show a vest or something. Yeah. Show show your work a little bit. Show me that he's wearing a vest and uh, didn't didn't have some ability to survive like a clip to the chest. Sure. sure. But regardless, she runs out into the ice. He keeps coming. Like you said, it's a great like kind of horror film. And like for some reason, he has a soft spot for her and decides to save her instead of kill her. Obviously, you could have let her die under the ice. Saves her. You know, flash forward, obviously, he's trying to kill Spectre because they're the ones that that killed his family. But the fact of the matter is the family business for Rami Malek's character was developing poisons and selling poisons to criminals like Spectre is a criminalized organization. They were their poison people. So, like, it's not like family family business for him was necessarily, you know whatever some normal job like they his family while they were killed were not necessarily good people these would be what we'd consider bad guys too so you know i get the whole like the build-up he kills specter and then he kills blowfield and after that like the emotion is gone for him but where i argue against that is the emotion at that point becomes about madeline like this connection that he has for her and you know, like he says at one point, like, 
the connection you have to a person when you kill them and the emotion that it takes to do that is is the same amount of emotion that it takes when you save someone you and save like them, the connection yeah. that you have ongoing with them because of saving them. And so like, to me, he has this connection to Madeline and, you know, it's almost that like delusional, like come, come live with me, be part of my family. Like I lost my family, you know, has some weird, you know, attraction as far as like, I want you and your daughter to be part of my family type of thing. And, you know, then the other part of it, you know, the, the idea that he's going to go and distribute this and do it to the world. Like the two ships are coming are apparently the first people that they're selling it to. Like, to me, like at that point he's taken his revenge and now it's just going to the family business, which the family business is something that (laughs) bond would want to stop and would be the story (laughs) of a bond movie in the past. from that. So like for me, like I, it tracked with me. And I think, I guess what I come back to is like this movie, as I kind of took a step back from it more. And I think this is evidence in how it opens. This movie wasn't about Bond as much. Like this movie was as much or more about Madeline um, in my argument, which is weird for a Bond movie and especially the last Daniel Craig movie. But I think it also... um, to me is the reason that, you know, Rami Malek's character was, you know, able to get the upper hand on Bond. Like every other time we've seen Bond, like he's focused on the task at hand, you know, yes, he may try to save whomever, but like they're secondary to the task at hand. And that's why they, a lot of times they end up being collateral damage to the task at hand. Right. In this movie, the task at hand was protecting Madeline and as he finds out his daughter like that was what became his task at hand after Blowfield is is killed sure like leading up to Blowfield obviously he wants nothing to do with her doesn't even know necessarily what's going on in her life obviously doesn't know he has a daughter but like once he finds out he has a daughter like the task at hand is protecting them and he becomes the collateral damage if that makes sense to that goal um versus you know, the other people in his life, like we traditionally see with Bond. So that's why it all worked for me. And again, I think where I was not satisfied necessarily with Rami being the one that killed him is just like Rami's character just isn't that like memorable to me, like comparatively to some of the other villains that we've had. Right. Um, everything in the story works for me. I'm fine with it. Just like, you know, with the attachment that we've developed to Daniel Craig and his character and the badass that he's been and the people that we've seen him take down, like, yes, looking back over the series of movies, it's like, and Rami's the one that killed them, like, to to some degree. But to me, it's like, it's not as much Rami killed him as much as, like, he was a, his story was doomed from the beginning, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, he and, was, and he was never he was never meant to have a happy ending with a family like we see that over and over again. That's kind of like the Bond story is like this isn't a life where you like ride off into the sunset and have a happy ending. And yeah. um, I think that was to some degree what this movie was. Yeah, it's out. And we don't have to turn this into an argument about freaking Rami Malek and, and whatever. Like, I just wish the movie could have made that more clear. I think well, the way you explain sure. it makes sense. But like Rami Malek's not giving speeches about how, like, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to be rich 
He's given speeches about how, like, you and I kill people the same way. I just want to do it more tidier. So, like, again, like, he weirdly, much like uh, Woody Harrelson in in Carn uh, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, he has all these speeches that I just don't, I don't feel are connected to the character at all. And I don't feel like, you know, he literally says, like, we're the same. He gives that whole message. We're the same. We're both killers. And so it's like, do you want to do it? Do or or do you want to sell it to people? And even the the scientists at the end, when like who's been kind of like a bumbling, almost a comic relief character the entire movie, like he says to Leona Lynch's or is it Latasha Lynch's? Leona Lynch's uh, Latasha Lynch's, excuse me, or Lashana? Jesus, I'm just screwing it all up. Lashana Lynch, all all due respect, says to him, says to her like we can eradicate your people like he becomes suddenly racist and then she yeah. kicks and then she kicks him into a giant pool of of melting nanobots which is just delightful but that was again like that kind of stuff i don't want to nitpick because you know what the hell was even goldfinger's you know plot i'm going to nuke the gold so that my gold becomes more expensive I don't know. Nonsensical plots are almost part of the Bond franchise. You look back at, at Raul Silva, you look back at, at Javier Bardem's character, and he pulls a joker of like, I'm going to let you capture me because that's part of the plan. Like, okay, dude. So I, that's one of the reasons why I didn't let it affect my overall rating of the movie. It's still just, it eats at my craw a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. So sure, David, I get that. Now, David, I have basically two big, Two big questions for you, and I want to I want to lay out the options, right? The first question is, what does the franchise future for Bond look like? Because this movie ends with a gigantic title card that says James Bond will return. So clearly, James Bond will return, but everybody is wondering, what is that going to look like? How? And so I wanted to break down some of the options. I wanted to get your opinion on it. First and foremost... We just get a new James Bond and MGM and Amazon, if and when they buy them, if they haven't already, I'm not sure if they have. And the Broccoli's and Eon Productions and all of that say we're now in the business of telling shorter contained arcs where this is going to be James Bond. And they have always been defined by the eras of the actors that they are in. And we're just going to lean into that a little bit more, whether it be three movies, whether it be five movies, this is going to be a new James Bond adventure that will span a series of a few films. I think that's the most likely thing to happen personally, where they just recast everybody and we're going to start over much like they've done with Batman, much like they tried to do with Superman, Spider-Man, all those movies. Uh, although the multiverse is not an option, I don't believe for James Bond yet. Other option. They turn James Bond into a code name. They actually say we are going to turn now one of everybody's favorite fan, you know, conspiracy theories or fan theories into a reality where James Bond 007 is now a code name. We are going to bequeath it to this next person and they are going to go on their own adventures. The other option is, are we going to continue the adventures of 007? Are we going to take Lashana Lynch's character, who's very good in this movie, who whoops all kinds of ass, who could be, you know, uh, 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 probably a pretty decent lead character on her own. And are we just going to continue making her 007 and we're going to do the adventures of, of 007 
am that code name now or the double O or the adventures of MI6. And, and that leads to the last one, which is what is Amazon going to do with this property? The producers have come out and said, we're not doing spinoffs. We're not doing miniseries. James Bond is a theatrical experience and we're going to keep it that way. The supporting characters are the supporting characters for a reason. That's how we're going to keep it. But the more and more, I mean, Amazon's going to space. You're going to tell them no, not necessarily. So what do you think the franchise future is? I think we're going to get these new self-contained stories now. I think we're going to get a brand new actor as James Bond, and they're going to sign a four to five picture deal, and they're going to tell their own self-isolated story and build on these characters and these emotions and things like that. But what do you think is going to happen? Man, it's it's tough. I think I think it is going to be some version of the Batman uh, direction where, you know, we do a couple films, we do a handful of films and we replace and we kind of wash, rinse, repeat. I think never say never on like a spinoff just because money talks and never say never again. And Amazon, you know, has gotten more involved in making their own you know, TV series. Um, I think more and more you're starting to see that. Obviously, you know, Jack Ryan is one of those where, you know, I don't know, will we ever get another Jack Ryan movie again or are they just going to stick with the franchise, you know, to some degree? But I think it wouldn't surprise me if there's a spinoff at some point. I don't think we're going to get an Adventures of 007 movie I think that's more suited to like a spinoff, you know, for lack of a better term, TV series, streaming series, whatever you call it now, that things don't actually go on TV half the time. But I would say the other role, the other one that I don't know if you necessarily described, it may be a mix of a couple of the scenarios that you said would be to basically have a new bond that exists in the same world that Daniel Craig's bond existed mm. and is his replacement, not his replacement. And, but the problem is you can't take up the moniker of James Bond then. So you're probably going to have to just start over, but I think you could do another origin sure, and just have it be different, right? Like in some way, know. shape or form. Yeah. You just do it differently. Cause it's, it's not something where it's like Batman where like, it always starts with like his parents being killed and yada, yada, yada. Like there was no like define, like we've seen this in 10 movies. We know this, it's in all the books or, you know, comics or, you know, that kind of stuff. There's not some set way or some set path other than I think his parents' um, death may be somewhat canon, but we didn't see that obviously right. in this film. So right. like, um, like him being an orphan, him being brought into MI6 because they, 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 you know, that's who they look for. Like, exactly. Like there's some aspects. So we could explore that, go like even further into the, the origin of him if we wanted to. Um, but I think it's probably, you know, we're just going to reboot this in, in a similar way that it always has been. Um, just maybe now we are more open to like, you know, a two or three movie plan or even, you know, a four movie plan. Like, Maybe it, it does move into long story, uh, long form storytelling a little bit more. So I think, I think we are going to go that way. I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you, you looked this up, uh, but I think who do you think is going to be the bond next bond? And I'm going to give you who the betting favorites are since 
you know, you have turned into this degenerate gambler. Yes. I would, uh, I would like to throw some odds on you. So this is the previous favorite. The longtime favorite now is Tom Hardy. Yes. He's, he's 10 to three as far as his odds. He, his, actually his odds have been going up lately or going down, I guess. Um, basically it's, he's becoming less of a favorite recently. Um, the new name that has appeared on the list in the last few days, and this is from the end of September. So this was, uh, about a week or two ago is County down born Clive Standen. Who the F is that? That's uh, he's four to one Clive Standen. I'll let you look him up. Standen spelled S T A N D E N. The uh, the next most favorite is Regine Regine Page. Yep. From the uh, from uh, from Bridgerton. Bridgerton, you know. Yep. So he's six. He's six to one. Everybody loves him. They're going to they're bringing the late. They'll bring the ladies in with that one. And here's the most backed one as of the last week of September that has attracted the most bets with bookies is McBafia star James Norton, which has attracted 13% of all bets at eight to one. I'm just, here's the thing. I'm going to ask you this question as well. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you two versions of this question because there are a lot of well, other people who are and- possible you know. And I'll read you the rest of them real quick. Henry Cavill's 10 to 1. Idris Elba's 10 to 1. Yep. Uh, Lashana Lynch, who was in this film, 12 to 1. Uh, Sam Hugan? Hagan? Yep. H-E-U-G-H-A-N. Uh, Michael Fassbender, Tom Hiddleston, Cillian Murphy, Richard Madden, Jamie Dornan, James McAvoy. And at 500 to 1, if you... Here you go, Rick. If you want a real long shot, Orlando yeah. Bloom. Here's the problem I have with this is most of these guys are white. All right. And I'm not trying to say it's all got to be about race here, but because we blew up Daniel Craig, there is a true opportunity to do something different. Now, I am I do not mean this in any way, shape or form. This might be controversial. I don't know who I'm going to piss off with this. I personally don't think James Bond should be a woman. But I have heard people throwing out the idea of Emily Blunt being, quote unquote, James Bond. I can't help but be intrigued by that. Okay, I personally feel that if we want to do a female super spy, we should. And I think there should be a female super spy who gets their long ongoing franchise. I just don't think we need to turn James Bond into that. Number one. Number two, I have a list. These odds, I don't like these odds. I'm going to tell you that right now. I don't like any of these odds. I will tell you, Tom Hardy would be fascinating to see what his version of James Bond would be because he's just such a weirdo. And if it is a combination of the wacky crap that he does in movies like The Revenant or the stuff that he does in Peaky Blinders or the stuff that he even does in the Venom movie, mixed with the stuff that he did in Warrior, mixed with Eames from from Inception. Boy, that's really interesting. I would be interested in watching that. But I want to give you some other names. And, and I don't know if you threw some of these names out here or not because I was trying to look up some of them. and I, don't, I just don't like a lot of them. All right. I'm going to give you a name. 
I would like to see John Boyega. I think John Boyega could be James Bond. Don't think John Boyega would ever do it. I think uh, he's on his own journey right now. <laughs> I think that his experience with uh, the Star Wars sequels may have broken him a little. He's not joining a franchise anytime soon. And and I, I listen, I don't blame him, but it's possible. All right. We also have Henry Golding, guy who is very charismatic, who played Snake Eyes, who 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 I thought was maybe the best part of Snake Eyes. Um, I would like to see him maybe as a possibility. Tom Hardy, as I always said, like if you make Tom Hardy James Bond, I'm in. Like I am gonna be fascinated by that but he's also no spring chicken anymore either so i got two names for you that i want to see as james bond david and it's a coin flip for me here okay number one dev patel let's do it man dev patel the dude has it all okay he just has it all and i would love to see his version of james bond i think he would crush it like hard so Slumdog Millionaire, I want to see as James Bond. The one that, that would interest me even just a little bit more, Daniel Kaluuya. Give me an Oscar winner. Bring him in. I want to see what Daniel Kaluuya could do for James Bond. Cool, a little bit scary. I don't know, man. There's just something about that that I think could be awesome. And so that's who I throw in. Those are the names that I throw in is Daniel Patel and Daniel Kaluuya or Dev Patel and Daniel Kaluuya, excuse me. But who do you think? Who would you say? Not put yeah. not who not who you would put money on, because I would not put money on either of those two guys. And if yeah. I did, it would be a very small amount. You know, it's it's hard because, you know, we've had James Bond for so long. That's been, you know, a certain type of character. And I go back and forth on is this the is this a franchise where like we need to like it's necessary to like change up what we're used to, you know, from that standpoint, I guess. Absolutely. Like I do new is, is this a thing that we need to completely like flip the script on? Like is James like we're doing that in a lot of different places. We're, we're retelling, you know, stories in different ways and, and things like that with different characters. And I love like all the representation that we're seeing in it. Sure. Just I think sometimes like that can be done and you lose like a sense of what it was originally about. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. So like sure. for me, it's like, I don't know, it's it's hard for me to to figure out you know, where it goes. And James Bond has always been a little, you know, wacky and things like that with the storylines and that. So like, right. I don't, I think all of it could work. It's just like, part of me wonders like with a Dev Patel, like even like, I think I'd rather see, like rather than trying to shoe him into, shoehorn him into James Bond and within the constraints of like the 007 role, like I'd rather like think creatively of how we could use him in a similar manner, like I'm fine with like a super spy, that kind of thing. Sure. But like, I don't know. That's, that's the hard part. Like even a Daniel Kaluuya, like I think my hard part with Daniel Kaluuya is like, he kind of has Rami Malek vibes for, for to some <laughs> degree for me, where it's like, I kind of want to see Daniel Kaluuya as 
a bad guy in a James Bond film more than I want to see him as James Bond. But listen, I love both Dev Patel and Daniel Kaluuya. I don't, I don't see it, but if it happened, I would love to see it. Like yes. I would be there opening night to watch it. So like, I'm not against that happening. Um, it's just hard for me to picture, which isn't a bad thing at all. Right. Um, and so like, I think for me, like, because I enjoy them so much, like, like I get excited about movies that I can picture them in <laughs> to some degree. Uh, like, but then again, I never would have thought of Dev Patel playing a, a Knight of the Round Table. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and the Green Knight to some I, degree. I want to so. start shoehorning people in. I want to start looking at people. You know, I want to start looking at people who wouldn't traditionally fit the mold. I mean, that's what I mean. Daniel Craig, weirdly enough, was met with that. And he was just blonde hair and blue eyes and everybody freaked the hell out about it. So I can only imagine what would happen if somebody picked, you know, uh, Dev Patel, who who is not a, a white British guy or Daniel Kaluuya, who's not a white British guy. Like I can only imagine. I'm but. I'm still disappointed we we probably missed the boat on Idris Elba. We did. I mean, never never say never, but like to me Idris Elba was was the perfect pick. Now that's now David that's a question and and, and we're going to wrap up here, but like if Idris Elba if they announce like we're going to do a three film series about mm. an elder bond and we're going to get Idris Elba and we're going to film all three of them over the course of 6 years. Are you in? Oh, absolutely. Like, because like. it's in play. It's not that, like, each, like, they can, we can play, like, that's the funniest thing is, like, we can plan ahead now, guys. We can build a story and we can say, this is our plan. It's going to be six to seven years. We're going to do a movie every two years and then we'll be done. And this is the James Bond story we want to tell. Like, it's in play. Well, and let's not, let's not forget, Idris Elba is 49 years old. Tom Hardy's 44. So like exactly. for Tom Hardy being the favorite, he's only five years younger than Idris Elba. So like exactly. if we can do a Tom Hardy in, in the role of Bond, then we could easily do Idris Elba. So to me, like if we're considering Tom Hardy, if he's the quote unquote favorite, then there's no reason we shouldn't be able to consider Idris Elba. And I mean, even Daniel Craig, like when he started this franchise, how old was he? Um, Let's see. Daniel Craig uh, is 53 was, years old now. And when did the first, when did uh, Casino Royale come out? That's 2006. He was 38. So he was 38. Sure. So, I mean, 10 years older. So, I mean, that's not insignificant, but at the same time, like, but like people are aging better now. Like Roger sure. Moore was 57 when he made a view to a kill and he looked like an old son of a bitch. All due respect to both <laughs> old son of a bitches and Roger Moore. All due respect to both of them. Dude looked old. People age differently now, man. Daniel Craig is 53 and he still looks like an Olympian. You know, that doesn't mean that necessarily like he is on the inside. Like I'm sure he has joint pain, knee pain, all that kind of crap. Like they literally have did that in the movie, but age is more than ever just a number. So if, it's going to be interesting. If I was to come back to who I think is the favorite, like, I could see just because of the heat around Bridgerton, I could see it being a Bridgerton, per, the Bridgerton guy. Uh, I didn't watch Bridgerton, so that would annoy me probably. 
Yeah, I haven't either. That's why I'm referring to him as Bridgerton guy. Uh, <laughs> Regine Page or whatever. Yeah. Laz- so, Lazenby, Lazenby was 30 when he started. I, I would put, I, w- I would uh, lean a little bit towards him just because, you know, I could see that. Right. The other ones, I still could see like a Richard Madden. Uh, I could see Richard Madden. Being, being in it. And, and that would be fine. It wouldn't be... I don't know that it would be exciting to me. I think with Richard Madden, the thing that you could do is he definitely has a younger look. Like you could pass him as being like someone in his twenties, like sure. easily. Um, so like if you went the Richard Madden route, you, it would be in play for you to go even further back into James's uh, history and we, start the story even earlier exactly, if you wanted to. Exactly. We have never had a James Bond younger than 30 connery started when he was 32 and he his last movie was when he was 41 and and everybody thought he was too old for for that one in diamonds are forever lazenby only had his one go and he was 30 he was the youngest one out of all of them roger moore started when he was 45 (laughs) and stopped when he was 57 in 1985 and 57 in 1985 just looked different i'm sorry dalton started at 41. So Dalton was as old as Connery was when he ended. And then Pierce Brosnan started when he was 42. Dude was 42 in GoldenEye. Looked fantastic for 42, let's be honest. Uh, And then was 49. And they were cranking those movies out too. They cranked those movies out every two years. And then Daniel Craig started when he was 38. And then these movies took much longer to make. So he has spent, it seems the longest time as James Bond, unless my math is wrong, which it probably is, but he went from 38 to uh, he's 52 now or 53 now. So the possibilities are endless is what I'm saying. We will Um, see. We will see. We will see indeed, but it has been a fantastic run with Daniel Craig as James Bond. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for us. And that honestly is maybe the most exciting part about it. But we're going to wrap it up. Before, I, before we go, I want to remind you all that you can get free episodes sent to you just by hitting subscribe, hitting that follow button. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with your other good movie buddies out there. We also don't want you to forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider supporting an independent film podcast when film so desperately needs our help right now. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet adios